Let's turn in God's Word tonight to the book of Romans, the 13th chapter. Our place of beginning tonight, Romans chapter 13. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7 of Romans chapter 13. Let us hear then God's breathed out word to us this evening. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Let's fire the reading of God's word and let's again bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come unto Thee in this evening hour of this Thy Sabbath day, Lord. We thank Thee, Lord, for Your Word and this portion of Your Word. As we hear it expound, we pray that Thou be with Pastor Bob and give him the words to say so that we may apply this to our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' in holy, precious name. Amen. Amen. And look at three things regarding this subject and this passage that is before us in this evening hour. First of all, the Lord's teaching. Secondly, the Lord's purpose. Thirdly, the Lord's command. The Lord's teaching, the Lord's purpose, and the Lord's command. I don't know how soon it began. I didn't go back and research all of the articles. But I think we all know quite well, because we've been inundated inundated with it for quite a long period of time now, indeed, since an election was held back in 2016. And that which seems to have become the focus of many in our nation, at least uh, those who make their living standing behind uh, uh, or in front of, I should say, a television camera, or those who are responsible for writing for major Uh, newspapers or news magazines or those who like to blog and tweet and do all that other stuff. Ever since that election, it seems that there has been this nagging question.
question. The Russians were somehow involved in the election, and the Russians, we can't quite figure out how, rigged the election. Countless hours, man hours, have been put into this. Hours spent dealing with that subject. We got a taste of it this past week. I think we all know and we all understand what really was happening within those judicial chambers this past week. It had nothing to do really with a woman out in California. What it had to do with not willing to accept the legitimacy of a president who is now serving as president. But before we get too angry and before we get too carried away and before we get all fired up and angry about those who will not accept the legitimacy of this president, I can recall quite well yet that for the previous eight years, that voice was sounded as well, even within Christian circles, about a previous president. And a nation reaps what it sows. And a lot of it is because we simply don't read God's word. I'll state it again. It wasn't the Russians. It wasn't the Chinese. It isn't Hillary. It isn't Trump. The clarity of God's word is without doubt. God speaks plainly to us. He speaks clearly to us. Now, we may not like what we read. We may not accept what we read. But the fact is, it's really, really clear. All authority, verse 1, is from God. There is no authority except from God. That's what it comes down to, first of all. That the authority structures that are in place in our lives are there by God. For no authority structure exists outside of God. God is the source of all authority. That's what the text tells us. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority. It doesn't qualify this. Paul doesn't qualify and say, well, some, most, partial. No authority exists except from God. That's clear. And we may be willing to say and to acknowledge, okay, so government has authority. I'm willing to accept that. But what about those who are in government? Look at the next phrase of chapter 13, verse 1. 
and those that exist have been instituted by God. In fact, Paul goes on to write that these are ministers of God. Verse 6. Ministers of God. It's not because they stand behind pulpits and preach the gospel or speak God's word. What Paul means by ministers here is that they are indeed the servants of God. They do the bidding of God. Now I could reference many, many passages to back this up. I'll simply have you turn to one. Find the book of Daniel chapter 2. Daniel, in the process of revealing Nebuchadnezzar's dream, speaks the following. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Now just stop and ponder that for a moment. Why is there a President Trump? Because of the Russians? No. No. Because of Chinese? Has the American people voted? No. He removes kings and sets up kings. Why was there a President Clinton? Because God sets up kings. Why was there a President Obama? Because God sets up kings. There are not these random events taking place. There are not random elections. There are not random results. There are not random rebellions. There are not random insurrections. There are not random coups. To say that any of that is random would violate the very being and nature of God. If there is one thing that we as Reformed folks would, would stake our lives upon, it is the fact that God is sovereign in all things. He rules, He reigns, He removes kings, but He also sets them up. Now, certainly there are means that God uses. Sometimes we can't explain the means. Sometimes we can't figure the means out. Sometimes to us it doesn't make sense what God is doing. Yet, to deny that God is the one doing it is a denial of the very word of God. Remember Jesus standing before Pilate? Pilate is questioning him, and Jesus 
He, Pilate speaks about authority and, and questions, don't you know I have the authority to give you life or to take it from you? And Jesus looks at him and says, you have no authority except that which God gave you. I mean, what a stunning answer. <laughs> Here, Pilate has been thinking all along it's because of the Caesar he's got power. Well, yes, there was a Caesar that gave him authority over Palestine, yes. But Jesus cuts to the chase and says, now that's just a process. God's the one who gave you authority. God's the one who instituted it. Third thing on this clarity. Note as well as you go back to Romans 13. Not only does all authority come from God, not only the authorities that exist have been instituted by God, they serve as ministers of God, verse 6, but those who resist will incur judgment. The resisting of God-appointed authorities brings judgment into our lives. Now, Paul here is not thinking about that which the authority will do to us. That's not what he means. He, he doesn't mean here the fact, look, if you end up being a Maccabee and trying to usurp and go against the Greek empire, they're going to kill you. That, he, Paul wouldn't have to tell us that. We get that. When Paul says here that you incur judgment, that is beyond that. Paul is saying that when you operate in a rebellious way against the authorities that God has instituted, God brings judgment into your life. There are consequences of that. You know what part of those consequences are? The family authority structure crumbles. Because if you do not recognize the authority that is over you, do you think your children will recognize you as the authority over them? That is the judgment that's being talked about here. There will be consequences in your life if you live in a rebellious way against the authorities that God has instituted. If you go against the principles that God is laying down here, it will bring consequences into your life. Now, maybe not your family. Maybe your business. Maybe it'll be one where, where it is tough to keep your employees under rain, and you're wondering why. Well, maybe it's because the way in which you speak, the way in which you act, the way in which you carry yourself, the way in which you conduct yourself in regards to the authorities who are over you. That is what Paul is speaking of here. It comes, rebellion comes with its own judgment. See, there are consequences to saying to God, 
I don't like the authority that you are instituting in my life, and I am rebelling against that authority. I refuse to acknowledge that authority. I refuse to follow that authority. Therefore, I am going to live my own life. And God says, have at it. See how it works without me. See how it goes without me. See how far your money goes. See how much joy you have in your life. See how much hope you have. Oh, you don't need me to sustain you physically? Let's see what happens to you physically if you want to rebel against my authority. Because you see, God is saying, my authority is the one that's saying, heart beat, lungs breathe. It comes with judgment. See, Paul goes on to explain, look, if you do evil, you face the sword. Yes, those are the consequences when you do evil. But the judgment are these other consequences that we face when we refuse to acknowledge God's legitimate authority and his legitimate authority figures over us. And need I remind you, this is being written to the church in Rome. And as best as we can gather, this is written sometime during the reign of Nero. Paul is not speaking about a governing authority that has as its model God's word. That is seeking to capture the essence of what God says in his word and apply it in terms of the civil government. This is a godless, pagan, wicked. Wickedness beyond what, what we could even begin to dream would happen in the highest echelons of a government. A wickedness that 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 which we have been hearing about on, on our television sets for this past week is small, is little in comparison to that which Nero and his family is involved in. And the worst thing is everybody knows it. It's not some secret in Rome. Everybody knows the morality of Nero. Everybody knows the background of this man. Everybody knows what he's attempting to do. Church of Rome. Those of you living right there in the midst of the clutches of the Roman Empire. Those of you living in the very capital of that government. Those of you who know even more fully than anybody else, because you live it with it day in and day out. You live in the swamp. 
Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. There's the clarity of God's word. In the midst of 1560, Debray and the rest of the Reformed movement needs to bring the clarity of God's word to bear on the life that they are living at that particular moment and that particular time. And what Debray is doing in this 36th article is he's saying two things. One, the rebellion of the Anabaptists is despicable. Now we've spoken about this before, but, it, but we haven't gone into great detail. So let me read you a little bit about what is taking place, or took place, I should say, in that city of Munster. I'm quoting from Dr. Ritterbarger. As we have mentioned on numerous occasions, the Anabaptist kingdom of Munster is clearly in his mind. And Guido de Bray composed this article in 1561. During the years of 1534 and 35, a number of Anabaptist radicals led by John Matis, and then after his death, John of Leiden, overthrew the city government of Munster and instituted what is now known as the Anabaptist Kingdom of Munster. Claiming to receive direct revelation from the Holy Spirit and appealing to those Old Testament passages which referred to Israel's unique role in redemptive history as a theocracy ruled of God, and then applying those verses to himself as though he were a Davidic king, John of Leiden and his flowers declared all forms of civil government to be illegitimate, except, of course, the government which they claimed God was establishing through them. Not only did John declare all existing contracts and marriages null and void, he abolished all private property and established a citywide communal form of living. But what was worse, seeing Munster as the millennial kingdom of God, then dawning upon the earth, John and his followers took up arms and for nearly two years held off the poorly trained local armies, claiming these military victories proved that God was on their side. John's soldiers were not defeated until the local prince finally brought in paid mercenaries for whom the Anabaptists were no match. Thus, the Anabaptists were not only guilty of heresy, but of anarchy as well. And with the fall of the Anabaptist kingdom of Munster and the execution of all who brought this horrible thing to pass, all of Europe was determined never to let such a thing happen again. In fact, some have argued that the roots of modern Europe's current secular mindset can be traced to this very event. If religious zealots can do such things, then religious zeal is a bad thing. If the reformed wing of the Reformation was to have any legitimacy at all, reformed theologians and confessions 
had to be very clear that they had no sympathies for the Anabaptists. Not only on a theological level, but they must also clearly state that the Anabaptist view of civil government was not only unbiblical, but that those who perpetrated this disaster got everything they deserved, harsh as it was. God gives the sword to civil government to defend its citizens from the likes of John of Leiden. On the other hand, the Bray also has to make sure in this statement to clearly specify the fact that the marriage of the Roman Catholic to the civil government was equally as wrong. And that the civil government and the church are not one in essence. That's what he's spelling out. Because the one in essence is exactly what is causing the persecution of the Reformed believers. The Anabaptists aren't causing them any problems. It is this marriage of the secular state with the Roman Catholic Church that is bringing about the very persecution that Debray and his congregation are experiencing. So there have to be clear lines. Now once again, let me, let me just, I, I've said it before, but I want to be clear. When we throw out these terms of the Anabaptist, and when we throw out the terms of the Roman Catholic, we are speaking of the church's formal beliefs and practices, as is evidenced by history. They're not saying that every single solitary individual in the Anabaptist movement was somehow involved in this. But it does display it. History shows us that the Anabaptists went this way of total anarchy. The Roman Catholics went the way of the marriage state with the civil government. It is not unlike the confusion of today. We live in a world, we live in a society, even here in the United States, in which the clarity of Article 36, in which the clarity of Romans 13, is not that which is followed. It is not followed by the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, there are crimes committed within our parishes? We'll handle it. We'll take care of it. That is not the function of the church. When a crime is committed, it is the responsibility of the civil government to bear that sword. And you see, that little marriage, that little turning away, well, they're too big, they're too powerful, we'll let them do their own thing, is the root cause of that which is happening within that church. On the other hand, 
far too many Reformed folk today sound like Anabaptists. They sound like anarchists. They sound like those who want to take up arms and will fight that civil government tooth and nail. Let me tell you, folks, Nero took away a lot of property. Nero took away a lot of businesses. And there is not one word from Paul, from Peter, from anyone else in the New Testament that says, take up arms, rise up against them, defend that which belongs to yours to the death. See, we live in a world of great confusion. And because the church has ceased to be the church and has become a political entity, you know what has happened? Exactly what God said would happen in Psalm 81. I'll give you what your hearts desire. I'll give it to you. What we have lived with, my friends, for the last umpteen years within this nation is because that's really what the hearts of this nation desire. And you see, we've become as Christians red and blue rather than clad in the glorious white apparel of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We weigh a person's Christianity by the color of the letter behind their name. Romans 13 has no such thing in mind. Nor does Article 36. See, the Lord has a purpose for instituting government. The Lord's purpose is because it's necessary. It's necessary because of sin. Because sin entered the world, it became necessary that civil government take up a sword, in other words, to legislate, to punish, to incarcerate, even to kill, for the upholding of good order and decency. God recognized, you see, God recognized, you see, that a family was not going to be able to do that. Because the limits of the family are within the confines of that family. God recognized that the church was not going to be able to do that. God knew that. Because all that the church can do is within the confines of that church. But the government, you see, can go beyond. That's its purpose. 1 Peter chapter 2, 14. 
Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is the purpose. This is the reason. I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but the government isn't doing that today. The government's going, folks, who did I tell you was the emperor? Do you think Nero's sitting there going through the Old Testament going, ooh, what laws should I enact? What laws should I use to punish? There's all sorts of things happening within that Roman Empire that are not according to the Word of God. But yet Paul says, look, in the world and in society, there is the necessity of good order. And if we do not respect the authorities that are over us, then judgment will occur. This is God's word. The purpose Paul points out in verses 3 through 5 of Romans 13 is to restrain sin. Now, we may not like the rules, we may not like the regulations, we may not like the laws. Some of them, as in the case of Daniel and his three friends, when they cause us to go against that which God has commanded, we disobey and we take our punishment. It's interesting, isn't it, that Daniel did not call down 10,000 angels to destroy Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel doesn't call out, oh, Lord God of heaven and earth. Kill this king who's about to kill me. You want me to go to a lion's den? I'll go to a lion's den. There's three friends. You want us to go to a furnace? We'll go to the furnace. And we're not even going to go screaming. Now, that's the remarkable thing of those who died in the midst of this reformation of the 1500s. Is that the vast majority of martyrs that we read of all went quietly and peacefully submitting to the very people who were going to take their lives. And why should they not? You could have called 10,000 angels. But he died. Submitting himself to the governing authorities. No servant is above his master. You see, in the, even in the establishment of the civil government, it is not necessarily the man, but the position. It is representative of God himself. Did you hear Peter? Second Peter chapter 2. Obey the emperor. 
But he really spells it out, doesn't he? Obey the emperor. Nero. And Nero is going to kill him. Why does Christ submit himself to Pilate? Why does Peter submit himself to Nero? Why is Paul speaking this way? Because they understand that God has instituted civil government and those who are in those positions are ministers of him. Because you see, we don't know what God's plan and purpose in it is. We're thinking, I want to live in a land of glorious freedom until I'm 100 years old. And God says, no, 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 no. I want to take you to me at 55. I want you to die in a fire that's burning under your feet, lit by the civil government, because I want to bring you to myself for a glory of my name. So what does the Lord command? Two things. He commands in action that we are to be subject to, to place ourselves under, to submit. We are to be obedient to. Titus 3 verse 1. We are to do all that we are commanded to do as long as in the doing of that which we are asked to do we are not in violation of God's word. Of God's word. Paul had rights as a Roman citizen, didn't he? But you notice while the whip is coming across his back in Philippi, Paul's not going, hey, hold on a minute. Wait. You have no right to do it. I claim my Roman citizenship. No, he takes the beating. And after he has taken the beating, been imprisoned, in which God gloriously, providentially brings a jailer to him. Here's one to contemplate. What if that jailer is your ancestors? Now let's retrace it. As the first latch comes, Paul says, wait a minute. It says here in my constitution that I have the right doesn't know what this is going to bring, but he knows he must submit. And he submits to every single one of those lashes. 
no doubt believed that as every lash came across his back, he's thinking, this is nothing in comparison to that which Christ did for me. And if Christ could submit to Pilate, then I can submit to this lash. To be obedient. These are our actions. In our attitude, Paul writes here in this passage of Romans 13, we are to what? We are to respect. We are to honor. There you see it, right? And read through 1 Peter tonight at home. And, and you'll find it there. Oh, Peter really lashes out at Nero. Boy, he calls him illegitimate. He says this about him. He says this about his ancestry. He says this about his religion. Man, he just chews him up and shreds him into pieces. Doesn't even refer to him as the emperor. No, he makes up names. Honor the emperor. This is to what we are called. This is the reformed faith. Oh, there's still the John of Leidens around. You catch them on the airwaves here and there. There's churches around here that are the John of Leiden sorts. The anarchists, those who will not submit to anything, those who won't follow anything the government tells them to do, because they know better, of course. See, what has happened is, in many places, that United States Constitution is that which is up here, and the Bible is down here. And people are more concerned about living and following the Constitution than they are about God's rule. Not so in the Reformed faith. The Reformed faith says, we hear God speak. This, this is our Constitution. This is how we are called to live. Perhaps, just perhaps, if the church if Christians, if Reformed folk had been more honoring and respectful of a previous administration, maybe we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. Oh, that's right. If you resist, you come under judgment. Maybe we need to repent. God, forgive us. We've said horrible things. We've been inappropriate in the language we've used. In the way we've conducted ourselves. We don't even speak of our local police officer 
with honor and respect. Father, forgive us. We have sinned. We haven't been that which you've called us to be. You've placed us, Lord, under the reign of King Jesus. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who can't even hold a Bible in their hand in the nation in which they live without penalty of death. And we think we have much to complain of. Forgive us. Help us to be that which you desire us to be. Help us to stay bold, courageous, and strong if and when we are called to violate your word. But until then, Father, may we live quiet and peaceful lives so that the gospel might be advanced. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.